Welcome to another episode of Northside Now. This is the podcast where we take you on a tour through all of the ministries and the latest happenings around Northside Church to keep you better connected with your church family. My name is Patrick, and with me as always are my co-hosts, Glenn Miller and Kevin Bryant. You had a little extra... Hello. Hello. It was you very know, I, dramatic. I, I try to like, you know, change up my delivery every now and then. Have you been um, off seeing some of the summertime movies? You know, I'm so far behind on all my movie watching. Ever since I had a baby, I don't get out as much. Like, there was a time when I was going almost once a week to see whatever new movie came out that week. And now it's like I've got a list of movies that I haven't watched. I'm yeah. so far removed from that particular environment. I don't remember the last time I watched more than one movie in a oh. in a month. <laughs> we used to go all the time. I'm looking forward to that, you know, when the kids maybe yeah. move out eventually. I would love to see more movies, but I feel so far behind on most everything. That and TV shows, too, so enjoy think, it when you guys talk about it. I think we've kind of just settled more on the TV shows and even going to the movies. Mm. I mean, COVID areas really yeah. spoiled us about well, having stuff online. Plus, all so. the streaming services have gotten yeah. a lot better than they used to be. I just love the environment, the atmosphere of big screen, yeah, oh, dark yeah. room smell of popcorn it's just recliners it's yeah. more of a, a <laughs> yeah. an event than a it really is and uh, takes the, more intentionality because it costs so much too uh-huh. unless yeah. you're going on a tuesday night at empire or whatever but but then they, there's that guy in a world <laughs> you know they haven't done those trailers in about 15 years but well, still don lafontaine is no longer with us yeah i know the but, iconic voice in a world but there are others that are attempting to do it in their own way. I will say about a movie that's coming out, Transformers. Mm-hmm. I saw the other day, and this is the first time I've ever seen it, and I think this guy's done the voice for Optimus Prime forever. Oh, yeah. I saw his face. There was like a video of him, and, <laughs> and he was talking about the movie coming out, and he was talking about doing Optimus's voice for all these years. I don't know who stuff. that is. Does it look like somebody from The Office? <laughs> no. He's like, a, he's like an old dude, and uh, I don't know. He just looks like some dude you go to church with that you never talk to or something. He's like that guy across the church. That's what he looks like. The dude across the church with the beard. Who does do the voice? For he, but he has. I mean, he has that voice and stuff. But I've never, ever, 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 ever thought about the person who does the voice for Optimus Prime. And I was like, whoa, yeah, you know. And it's really wild when you see the voice for the. For the well, it's cool. He's got a mustache. Yeah, yeah, that's him. Oh yeah, uh huh. I've seen him before. I his don't name, know him. His but. name is Peter Cullen. Okay. But I think he's he, like an older dude. He's got a mustache. And he's like wearing a suit in this picture. He's yeah, like yeah, a normal yeah, dude. Exactly. Uh, so the guy across the across the church, you know, just yeah. you know. But. Well, isn't that funny how you put faces and and kind of you imagine when you just hear a voice, you imagine what they look like, and sometimes uh-huh. it's totally different. I follow a person on. I think it's Instagram. I don't think maybe TikTok. I can't remember, but she's a foley artist. Ah. And she's a real, it looks like, it's hard to tell on camera, but a petite woman in her maybe, you know, 30s. But she does all this physical, of course, any kind of movie stuff behind the scenes. Yeah. I'm a nut for that. But, you know, just watching her do it. It's not maybe what somebody might stereotypically think of who's doing it. It's just fascinating to me. The yeah. way, because I've found that too, where I hear a voice and I think I envision a certain person. Mm-hmm. 
turns out they may look totally different. Yeah. Well, the people that get me are like, I follow a lot of voice artists and a lot of them can do impressions and mm. like somebody that can like totally change their voice. Like, like the guy who does the Patrick Stewart and the older British guy. Have you seen him? Uh-huh. Yeah. I can't remember his name right now. He'll be reading an article and then his daughter, whoever it is, tells him to change his voice uh-huh. and reads it in a different voice. Okay, so that brings so, up a lot of British actors can do non-script kind of American voices. Yes. But why can't Americans do British voices very good? Some of them can. Who they can, but Who I... Does that? Well, the one that comes to my head is uh, Dan Stevens. Uh-huh. He's American, but he played Play. uh, in Downton Abbey. Right. He was, uh, what okay. was his name, Matthew? Right. Yeah. In yeah. Downton Abbey. Yeah. And he yeah. was able to do a, a really good British accent. He was like the Beast House. from Beauty and the Beast. You know, yeah. House. Hugh Laurie. Hugh yeah. Laurie. I mean, there's a bunch of them. Um, here's one. Charlie Cox. The guy that plays Daredevil in the Marvel series. Oh. I actually got to meet him a couple of weeks ago. Really? And you did. I, I, I ran into something. him getting coffee. You know, me and Daredevil, we got coffee thanks together. Thanks to your daughter. Yeah, thanks to Autumn. <laughs> she gets, you know, she's she's helping me out a lot. It's like taking a puppy to the park. Um, so, but I turned around in line and it was Daredevil and he started talking and it was a very British accent. And I was like, it took me a second because I was like, he, he has a flawless American accent in the yeah. show. Yeah. So I don't know. So instead of going to the movies, he helps you meet uh-huh. movie, stars. Stars. movie stars. Yeah. Excellent. Are they called movie stars still? So uh, I don't know. You sure. They're not called film stars anymore, are they? Old people call them that still. Yeah. It's, it, yeah. They're not films. Nothing's, they're, yeah. They're pictures. Yeah. I moving did, picture. I did that picture. I did that moving picture. I think we're going back in time now. <laughs> so let's see. Patrick, have you recovered from your beach trip? You know, I still sand in various places. No, you know how it goes. It's like you go on vacation and when you get back, you need to take a vacation Uh to recuperate Mm -hmm. from your vacation. Yeah. I think that's kind of how I feel. I know all about that. (laughs) Especially when there's youngsters involved. You you just seem to really go. You pretty much have to assume you'll never get it out of your vehicle though. Yeah. Sand's going to be there forever. Sand is, sand is everywhere. (laughs) It's rough and coarse and irritating. Yeah. And it gets everywhere. Get and then Glenn, it. you've recovered from your sermon. Well, none of us have. Yeah, none you of laid it on have, pretty hard there. Yeah, so we're all feeling very convicted <laughs> and encouraged. But what I want to know is, you know, I showed a picture in the uh, in the sermon that you know he used to play for Dairy Queen, played baseball for Dairy Queen, and uh, old black and white picture doctored it up a little bit so there was no the, color the, back the in those days. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But yeah, <laughs> everything, everything, the sky was Col- color, gray. Yeah, color hadn't been invented yet. <laughs> you know, old MVP there. You know, I I will never forget that day I threw the Frisbee up on my house. And Ooh. my dad just kind of tosses me on top of the house. And, you know, great. Everything's fine until it's time to come back mm-hmm. down. And he says, jump. And I'm like, are you crazy? <laughs> We're not jumping off the house at this age. You know, I was like nine years old. So... You know, I've thought of that story. I've told that story a billion times I've heard in, you, yeah, in my it. life. Uh, tell that story, but it, it's just so foundational to me about our faith journey and having that relationship. I, I totally get it when Jesus says you need to be like children and don't, to inherit the kingdom of God. Because, mm. I mean, he's going to ask us to jump and we're going to have to answer that call one mm-hmm. day. So for me, it's always been kind of a fun story. But yeah, nine-year-old Glenn's always a fun thing to see on, <laughs> on the screen. So. <laughs> As if you're not still around. Nine-year-old Glenn's still in this room. Yeah. Yeah, So So we can say, I see nine-year-old Glenn all the time. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah. Well, let's hope we don't ever kill him off. That. <laughs> That'll be bad. Young at heart. Young at heart. So, yeah, been been a good, I always enjoy getting the opportunity to do that. Well, we have kind of one of our church leaders in here with us uh, today coming in, Bill Reagan, who is in charge of our lay board of lay elders, and he works with Samaritan's Person. We've had him in before, mm-hmm. but we always enjoy having him in because since we've had him in, he's been on several more trips. And he has great stories. Always, and yeah. really has a great heart to serve in difficult places that most people would be like, nah, nah y'all just, there's mm-hmm. somebody else will do that, mm-hmm. you know? He's like, I'm not volunteering, somebody else will do that. Well, Bill has that heart where he's like, well, you're asking, I'm going. So we do appreciate him in so many ways. So yeah, The thing I love about him is he's a real guy. Yeah. We recorded the... Uh, the interview a little while ago, but I remember asking or kind of saying, you know, you seem so heroic to so many people Yeah, just because he, he does and feels called to do things that most of us wouldn't yeah. even dream yeah. of doing. Go to places that. <laughs> and that is so not what he thinks about. Yeah. And yeah. he's just a, a very real guy that I'm sure struggles with many things, but he has followed God's call and that's, uh, sure. that's impressive and good lesson for all of us. So I always enjoy when he comes in. Yeah, me too. So let's flip it on over and uh, spend a little time with Bill. We're here with Bill Reagan. Welcome again. As you can tell, we really haven't done much with the room since you were here last. (laughs) But that's all right. (laughs) So Bill serves as our uh, chairperson. Is, y'all, is it chairperson for the board of ordained? Not board of ordained elders. Board of lay elders. elders. Ordained elders. <laughs> wow, you get there eventually. I'm going way back in the memory there's, bank for that one. There's talk about that. <laughs> way back in the memory bank. You've been traveling a little bit with Samaritan's person. We'll talk about that too. So how are you? Good. 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 Good deal. I know y'all been busy looking for preachers and doing all kinds of stuff. Y'all do. Yeah, it's been a busy uh, six months. It seems like we get one wall knocked down and there's some more that come bubbling up that we have to get taken care of before we can move on to yeah. get a pastor. So, Well, I think it's just part of it nowadays. One of the things I've hearing friends that are, of course, we were looking for a youth person too, and hearing this all over is there's just not, they're not hanging on every tree. <laughs> So, so that's the, uh, you know, that's the thing is it's not like it used to be where it was just people wanted to jump up and work at the church. And a lot of young people that going into ministry don't want the liability. They don't want to, you know, unless they're starting their own church. And now you're doing a church plant, they'll knock you down trying to get in line to do that. Yeah. I read an article just today that the boomers pastors are retiring and there's nobody behind them stepping up in their place. There's a huge shortage of young people. Yeah. Not choosing a ministry. Yeah, there's some of that for sure. And it's generates our extras. Well, we're not real sure what we're doing. We're still waiting to grow up. We're still waiting for mom and dad to bring the keys home so we can, <laughs> you know, we're missing the good old days from where we can ride around and have a good time. But, you know, it's funny. I love to watch that on all this different socials, the, the battle of the generations. It cracks me up. So everybody thinks they know what the other generations are doing. And it's fun to listen to them. So uh, you went to Ukraine. I did. With some heritage first, and then Turkey, and then Ethiopia. So let's go back to Ukraine first and tell us a little bit about what you did in Ukraine. Well, we flew from here to Poland, got on a train, and rode for 21 hours across wow. Ukraine. 
mm. to the western side. We were in a town that had been occupied by the Russians and had been freed by the Ukrainians about three or four weeks before we got there. And in Ukraine, there's 288 hospitals. Mm. Every one of them has been struck by a missile. And 88 of them are totally damaged and inhabitable. In this town of Izium, where we were, the hospital was totally destroyed. So we, Samaritan's Purse, went in, found a three-story building that they set up a hospital in. The uh, living quarters were down in the basement, which was our safe bomb shelter. Then we had uh, ER surgery and then the floor. And then the third floor was the um, area where we had our meals and devotions and stuff. And so we had some, we were the only hospital there. Mm-hmm. It was a town of 50,000 people, probably about 15,000 all that were left. Wow. And um, the interesting thing was, is that the Russians still controlled the media there. Oh, really? And so what they told the Ukrainians were that they were leaving to go to another area, but they're now part of Russia. So when Samaritan Purse gets invited in by one of the evangelical churches, they're saying, so who are you? What are you doing here? Yeah. And why are you here? I thought we were part of Russia now. So it was quite an education from the churches to explain who we were and what we were. Yeah. But it was terrible. The town, there wasn't a building that wasn't destroyed. Yeah. I mean, apartment buildings, every window was blown out. Uh, You'd get up on top and look out of the city and see maybe 10 or 12 lights at night. Mm. And um, it was just kind of heartbreaking. Yeah, there's nothing even more eerie than being in a city that's, you know, it's dark. Yeah. You know, with no lights or mm. only a few, you know, it's like after the tornadoes here, you know, different times they've been not, and you're going through and you see damage, but yet you really can't see it that well mm-hmm. until daytime. Yeah. And many of the pictures I've seen out of Ukraine is there is every building is messed up, right. you yeah, know. It's just terrible. So I was there and we had an orthopedic surgeon and general surgery, but I see you. We had a real busy ER and clinic, seeing people coming yeah. in there with all kinds of stuff. Um, took care of one guy that lived in his basement for a month and never came out. Mm. And uh, it was quite interesting, his, his story. Yeah. But anyway, I was there for about a week, and then they moved me to about two miles from the front mm. from the fighting. Mm-hmm. Um, we set up a mobile surgical base. Mainly, it was more like a mass unit yeah. where we would uh, treat combat wounded soldiers mm-hmm. stabilize them and then ship them on to other hospitals there were three hospitals within 20 30 and 50 miles of us hmm. but even though we were that close a lot of times they would have been injured an hour hour and a half two hours by the time they got to us oh, wow. and so we just did some stabilizing things uh, you know with open fractures and did a couple colon surgeries and put in chest tubes stabilized the bleeding and uh, the ship them on yeah. We set up in a half basement of a pre-Cold War school that was four stories high. Walls were 36 inches thick. Mm. And it had been hit by two missiles, but the missiles had landed in the back, kind of in the back parking lot. And so we went in and sandbagged the, the windows, three layers out, two layers in. We had a one OR, about eight or nine ER beds that we triaged and shipped out. Yeah. We were very busy. We had a Ukrainian surgeon and anesthesiologist that joined us after about two or three days. 
and he was in charge of the health care for whole brigade. And so he were basically trying to do the same thing we did, but in a mobile setting, and it's just impossible in yeah. an ambulance to operate on people and yeah. move people and transport. So having that facility kind of helped facilitate them. So we were seeing 20, 30 a day a lot of times. Wow. So when y'all go in, y'all identify with the local churches? That, that's Correct. really how Samaritan's Purse, Purse works through the local church. Yeah, Samaritan's Purse has a country office, they call them, and the churches usually invite SPN. But they still go through the political side, to the government side, the military side, and, and well as the evangelical or the Christian yeah. side. Yeah. Yeah, I was recently in the DR in Mission of Hope. And they're working in the Dominican and in Haiti still, but, you know, they work through the local church. Yeah. And they're like Samaritan's Purse and stuff where, you know, a lot of times they're called into, you know, uh, the guy I was with who's kind of leading our thing. He said at one point around Haiti, he looked around, he said it was all military people and me. Mm. (laughs) And he said everybody was puzzled about why I was there. One of the high ranking guys said because he knows how to get this done better than the rest of us. And they were asking, what's your what's your secret sauce? Does it work through the local church? He said, just making those relationships and connections. And you know how all that started? Through the Christmas boxes. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah, Christmas boxes, things like that. That's Eat, developed relationships yeah. all yeah. over the world. And they ship out, I don't know, a million every year, but they never go to the same place twice. And what it's done, it's just developed relationship with the churches. Yeah. And so when something like this happens, they know about SP and they invite them in. Mm. And next you went to Turkey. What's the difference between Ukraine where there is war, there's an active, I and mean, I know Turkey's not the safest place on the planet, and Turkey be more of a natural disaster kind of situation. What, what's the difference between those two settings besides the types of injuries? Maybe even well, some of those may be the same. Interesting, the big thing, seven days after I left, our clinic got hit by two missiles. Mm-hmm. And dead center, fortunately, if it had been in the front or the back, it probably would have killed 15, 20 people. So they left, and SPs wanted to go back because in every war, non-government organizations in healthcare have been a very strategic part in helping the civilian people with healthcare. Mm-hmm. And so Samaritan's Purse is trying to find their spot in Ukraine to do that. But Ukraine, fortunately, has got a pretty good healthcare system, yeah, and they want to take care of their own people. Sure, and I can understand that. And so SP still hadn't found that niche in Ukraine, but. Samaritan's Purse does well with disaster relief. Doing combat, mm. <laughs> you know, we did it years ago in Iraq, but doing combat care is different yeah. than doing disaster relief. Yeah. Now, Turkey was interesting because we were put on a, in a very restrictive environment. When we came in, the churches invited us in. There's a church there, a real strong church. It's got many, many branches in, in the area. And they brought mm-hmm. us in, and they kind of helped support us on the ground. But being a strict Muslim country, we could not carry our Bibles around publicly. Mm, yeah. We could not pray out loud, and we could not sing during devotions. Mm. And they had people on the ground watching us. Wow. As a matter of fact, the director of the emerging medicine for the whole country stayed with us for a week to see how we did. And um, there were several times it came close to being shut down because somebody would pray for a patient publicly. Yeah. And so even though we were the only hospital in Takia, Turks had one set up about two weeks after we got set up. But we were the only ones there because all the hospitals had been destroyed. Yeah. And it started out with, you know, a million people 
600000 left. I mean, that's like wow. the city of Memphis vacating. Yeah. Because there's no place to go. And so the people left, we were the only ones there for health care. Wow. And it stretched the damage. It went 70, 80 miles north of us, and everything was just totally flat. And so we were very, very busy. We had two ORs, plastic uh, orthopedic surgeon, general surgeon, several ER docs and stuff, nurses. And we had a 52-bed ward set up and uh, did a lot. Yeah, I imagine. So a lot of times of those you see like, you know, what do you call it? Crush type. Yeah, we saw a lot of crush injuries, a lot of degloving injuries where they get trapped and then they pull their hand out and their skin pulls away. Pulls away. Yeah, a lot of burns, a lot of burns. Yeah. We had one child that we took back every day for about three weeks, was standing by the stove and the pot of soup was on it. Mm. And the pot of soup fell over Mm. and burned her left side and her whole left leg. And we were preparing her for skin grafts. And oh, so wow. we were basically taking her back every day and had to put her to sleep because she couldn't tolerate the dressing change without it. Wow. And so it was a lot of that, a lot of dressing change stuff that she was waiting for the graft time yeah. to graft them. But we did a lot of trauma, a lot of broken bones. Had a couple of um, colon that were ruptured from the stuff falling on them yeah. and uh, yeah. things like that. Yeah. And then to Ethiopia, which was your latest trip, right? Right. So, mm-hmm. so what uh, what did you do in Ethiopia? Well, Ethiopia in Soto follows under the World Medical Mission, which Samaritan's Purse has 150 missionary hospitals throughout the world that they sponsor. And there was a surgeon here, Dr. Tim Love, who is the chief of the residency program there. Mm. They have a residency program called PACS to train African surgeons in orthopedics, OBGYN, and general surgery. Mm. And so when they finish med school, they apply to these programs. And they're, they're Christ-based. They have a extensive Bible study every Thursday. Um, they have to speak English. A lot of them have to learn that as they kind of perfect it as they go. Yeah. And it's um, very well funded. It's supported um, by a group out of Indiana. But in the town of a million-something people, it's probably the most well-supplied hospital there. Oh, wow. And they did everything from, you know— there were baby C-sections and had uh, nine international missionaries there from OBGYN. Had some from Alabama, had a plastic surgeon from Germany. I think they have three or four residents a year for in a five-year program. And they have to serve in an undeserved, unserved area yeah. when they get out yeah. of their residency program. When y'all pull up, who else pulls up beside you from around the world? I mean, is there any other agencies I know there's a few others from the U.S., USA, different ones, but are there others that are pulling up beside you saying, we're from here? Yeah. Once we kind of get going and set up, people start coming in. We had a lot of Turkish doctors come see us because they wanted to work there if they had to. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we'd let them. You know, we're not restrictive at all. This time, though, USAID, USAID came in, and they were going to set up a hospital beside us, a little bigger than what we had. And this cost SP, I think, $3 million to get set up and started. Mm. And USAID gave them $2 million oh, wow. for it. We were in the parking lot of a 1,100-bed hospital that was three years old. Oh, goodness. And seven floors had collapsed inside. Wow. And so it was all going to have to come down. Yeah. And 10 days after we got there on a Monday, we had a 6.8 earthquake. Wow. And I'm, I'm telling you guys, that was felt that one. Yeah, uh, we had a lot of tremors that were three, yeah. fours, and fives. But that six point eight, you could not stand up. Mm. And everything that we had, the shelving, all the OR instruments, all fell down. Yeah, and it had a big crack in it. Oh wow! A new crack in the hospital, 
And so it was kind of concerned about it falling over. And so USAID decided to set up by another hospital, another area of town. But there was going to take them like three or four weeks to get set up where we were up and going within 48 hours. Yeah. By the time we got in there, everybody got on the ground, put tents up, had everything ready. Within 48 hours, we were seeing patients. Wow. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. Well, I- so many questions come to mind. We've heard you talk before, and I think myself included, a lot of people look at you and say, he's the hero. Yeah. I know your heart, and I know that that's not reason you do it, obviously, but it takes a certain kind of person and temperament to do what you do. I'd love to hear a little bit more about your heart with that, because I know you've shared it with us before, but it's a calling. Yeah. You know, to, to go in there knowing, like you said, the week you left, there was missile strike. Knowing that potential for danger is there at any moment. Now, I would imagine as a medical professional, you're somewhat prepared for medical emergencies, right? You've been able to develop a way to deal with those kinds of things. But this seems like it's really a lot different <laughs> than yeah. that. Yeah. And for people that haven't experienced that before, I can't even begin to imagine what it's like to be in that environment. I don't know if you can explain it or, or share a little bit about that, but that's something that always touches me because it's one thing to go into a danger area, but you keep doing it. God keeps calling you to do it. And I appreciate that about you. So Thank you. Well, um, first of all, I'm not a hero. Mm-hmm. I'm just answering the call. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't want to be a hero. Um, I've always felt that my anesthesia was my ministry. Mm-hmm. And that God called me into that. And there's been many instances in my career that God had me there for the right time, the right place. And, of course, I've got a pretty good, strong military background, even though it wasn't in a war zone, but was still, I was still highly trained mm. as a uh, Green Beret medic. So I kind of had that background to go into this, which kind of prepared me better for others. Right. Now, we were in Ukraine. The artillery was set up behind us. So the artillery fire was flying over our heads 24-7. Wow. Every day. And uh, we had three missiles that landed, anti-aircraft missiles that they used to knock down three drones. They use a random, I don't know, 10 or 20 rockets that they fire up. Mm -hmm. And they got to land somewhere. So we had two or three land within three or 400 yards of us. And it was very obvious <laughs> what was incoming and what was outgoing. Yeah, yeah. Because incoming, they rattled us. Yeah. Big, you know, and we go, okay, what's is that good guys or bad guys? Yeah. <laughs> SP's got a really strong uh, support security system that was really keeping in touch of where they were going because the major center was only 15, 20 miles away where they were fighting. So we were kind of in the thick of things, you know, and uh, it was neat to show God to people, mm. you know. It was interesting. I, there was one guy that I kind of really befriended a lot, and he um, was an accountant and had been conscripted as a drone pilot. And he was on the front lines and within two kilometers inside flying a drone, and they got hit with some artillery rounds, and his two buddies 10 meters away both got vaporized. Wow. And he caught some shrapnel in his hip, and it kind of went down and may have gotten his sciatic nerve or femoral nerve. So he, he was kind of limping, couldn't walk. So they brought him in, and... On the ambulance, he said, I've heard a lot of good things about you guys. He said, I speak English. My wife spent a year in Philadelphia as the exchange student. She taught my son and I English. Hmm. But you'll take care of me because I'm an atheist anyway, won't you? And we said, yeah. And so we brought him in and cleaned him out, x-rayed him best we could. And we're going to ship him on to some place where he get MRI to see exactly what his injuries were. And so everybody else is going to lunch. And I said, well, I'll sit with him. And so we were just talking 
and he'd been prayed for twice by this time. And I, I said, so what do you think about, about your, your little incident there? And he told me, he said, you know, I, I'm thinking maybe there's some reason that I didn't get vaporized with my mates. Mm. He said, so where are you from in the U.S.? I said, Tennessee. He looked at me, he go, and I said, Elvis Presley. So he started singing Elvis Presley song. <laughs> and he looked up and said, and Jack Daniels. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so from then on out, when somebody wanted to know where I was from, I'd say, Elvis Presley and Jack Daniels. And they know exactly where I was. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So anyway, I, I, I talked and kind of shared. And he said, yeah, I wanted to come to the United States sometimes and see it. And his wife was in Austria with their four-year-old son. She was a teacher. And um, he said, so, you know, Thanks for taking care of me. I appreciate the conversation. And so he got ready to leave. And uh, he looked at me and grabbed my hand and said, God bless you. God bless you. Hmm. There you go. Yeah. Bill, you've been around and you've seen some devastation and you've seen people at war and you've seen all this stuff. What are some things that you do here at home to kind of help prepare yourself for that. And, you know, they tell us we're living on the, you know, the, the big fault, you know, the earthquake can get us anytime, that kind of thing. What are some of the things that you do kind of just, um, you always keep like a flashlight with you or something? I mean, what, what are some of the precautions that you tend to take? Well, yeah, I've always keep flashlights. I'm, I'm a Boy Scout at heart, so I'm yeah. always prepared <laughs> yeah. for whatever that might Got a little kit up made yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, pretty much, yeah. you know, and... In Iraq and Turkey, both, we had a go bag that yeah. had mm. a set of clothes, medicines that we had kept with us at all times because, you know, if we had another bad earthquake, which, you know, we did, mm-hmm. that we had to evacuate, we could just grab it and go. Yeah. As a matter of fact, when they got hit with the missiles after I left, they left everything there except oh, wow. for what their go bags were. Yeah. So you suggest people have essentials ready to go? Well, yeah, I think you've always got to be prepared if utilities go out. I mean, we've had tornadoes and seen, well, that's done to us for mm-hmm. two or three days at a time. Yeah. You know, and for me, a lot of it's just a faith issue. Yeah. You know, God's going to take care of me. I don't know my days. Yeah. He does. And uh, I'm just going to answer the call, whatever he wants me to do and go. And uh, fortunately, i got a great loving wife that supports me. Yeah. She worries about me. <laughs> I've got a son or two that really worries about me. It was, uh, one was not very happy with me going to Ukraine. Yeah. But uh, he had some connections, and he says, we're watching you, but we can't come get you. So, <laughs> Your wife's one of our faithful listeners. She, yeah. uh, she listens all the time. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's a. Fa- I mean, we were talking with Anna McGarry not long ago in here, and I, I know all of us have seen her and visited with her. She was just talking about the rivers and things that are just boundaries. That if it's flooding, you know, they lost two children trying to swim across it. You know, and you've been in countries recently where there's war. You know, both things are very, very foreign to us in our daily lives. You've seen the pictures and videos. You know, you remember when people, you know, be shelling all night and then the sun will come up and they'll walk out of their apartment or their house and they'll walk down and go into work or going to get what they're going to do something i don't know what what they're doing or and all of a sudden traffic starts those are very very foreign things to us here in jackson tennessee you know we're we are very blessed to live in a free land that where that's not the case here but you know a natural disaster is something that none of us can control you know or be, be totally prepared for well, one thing about the Ukrainians, there's, you know, when it's different when you're fighting for your homeland. Yeah. Mm. 
You know, we have never won a war where we've gone in countries and people fought for their homeland. Yeah. I, you know, Vietnam, uh, Afghanistan, um, not in Iraq as much, but particularly in Afghanistan, yeah. Korea, for instance. And these people... I mean, when they're fighting for their homes, that makes a difference. And you have a lot of resiliency to it that you don't normally see. Yeah. And I think we'd have it here if somebody tried to invade our country. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, totally. You know, but we haven't been asked to do ever do that. Yeah. Thank goodness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thank yeah. goodness. So. One of the things that I was thinking about, you mentioned early on in the western part in Ukraine when you were there. I, I often hear a lot about Russian propaganda. Obviously, the story you told there is that, you know, they'd been liberated and yet it was still, the story was, it's Russian. So from what you've seen, either there, Turkey, anywhere else, what is the reality that we are not hearing? Well, I think the amazing thing is that bothered us that were medically on the field was we had to give our cell phones and our Apple watches and computers up in Kiev because when the Russians had surrounded Kiev initially, the Ukrainians defeated them because every time a Russian would pull up their phone to call their wife or get on Facebook, they would pinpoint their mm. coordinates and put a missile in their laps. <laughs> and so even though I called Jane one time from Kiev, our IT guy says, now, if you get back home and you redo, you reset your phone three times, and if it still messes up, your phone's been compromised by mm. the Russians. Wow. And I had to get a new phone. Because it just was all messed up. Mm. And so that was a, a big deal. And the communication was hard because they would jam our sat phones, jam everything we had. So communicating from where we were on the front, even 100 miles away, was almost impossible. And after they got hit with missiles, it was an hour and a half, two hours before they could get back where they could get radio mm-hmm. to tell headquarters we evacuated because we got hit. So that was the biggest thing that was a real shock. And the same way happened in Turkey because so we're so close to Syria. Mm-hmm. And um, being an NGO, Christian NGO, yeah. it really, uh, some of the security people are very anxious about that. Mm-hmm. I think we need to bring back the CB radio. Breaker <laughs> 1-9. Well, I mean, it was, it was you know, you know that we had uh, several different kind of phones. We had sat phones and they jammed all of them. Yeah. Every yeah. day. So you kind of feel isolated. Uh-huh. Yeah, especially. Yeah. Because we're used to being able to pick this oh, up and totally, yeah. contact anybody in the world. But both in Turkey and in uh, Ukraine, we had to give our phones up. You know, that reminds me, this is in no way the same as that. But I remember I was in Nashville when the flood happened. And yeah. with all of the modern conveniences that we have and everything, cell service was out. Yeah. There was so much traffic, people trying to reach people. It was very surreal. And I, I liken it maybe a little bit to that where when you were on the ground in the middle of it, you did not know what was going on. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. You could not tell yeah. what was actually true and not. If your electricity was out and you had no cell service, you only heard what the neighbor said who heard from this person and that person, you know, like the game of telephone, you know, how yeah. it changes from <laughs> right. one person to the next. It was like a desert of information. You couldn't figure out. I remember we tried to get out to go to a friend's house to stay because, you know, the flooding was there and we were told we should go one direction instead of the other one because the other was blocked. Well, it turns out the exact opposite was true. <laughs> yeah. So we had to go all the way around to get out. And it was uh, it was a real eye-opener because I, I identified exactly with in a war zone anyway where your communication is out. You just don't know what's going on. Yeah. That's a really scary and isolating feeling, like you said. Sure. 
and I, you know, the thing is too, they would use our cell phone yeah. to yeah, pinpoint you. us, you know, and the thing is where we were in, um, we called it K9, is that there was a lot of pro-Russians in Western Ukraine. Mm-hmm. And they turned us in, mm. basically, because it's, it's it was a hard intel. Well, the only thing we had in front of us was ambulances. We had no Red Cross. We didn't have SP signs anywhere. Uh, we just had these people occupying this school that's been left empty for two years. And um, people taking pictures. And so what they would do, they would send intel with their phones to somewhere, which would go back and they'd come back and validate that intel. And then by the time it got back, it would be almost 20 days yeah. from the original thing. And that's when we got hit, 20 days after we got set up. Wow. And so, you know, it was uh, quite interesting. In a situation like that, does SP, I mean, being aware of some of that stuff, do they think of some of these installations you said where you moved, do they think of them as being more temporary for security or safety reasons or no? Well, they first had hoped that we could keep that thing open for 90 days to help take care of wounded soldiers. And then after that kind of got damaged, they thought about having a mobile unit where mm-hmm. we'd go set up in a house for 10 days and move and go someplace else. Yeah. So they, they can't pinpoint us as well. But that didn't turn out to be very feasible because you still have your network of ambulances that are coming to you. Uh-huh. And so they really haven't worked that problem out. At first, I was going to be in a van with an OR in it, and we we're going to operate in the van, set up, set a tent up, operate in OR, ship them out, and then move to someplace else. Wow. And that's still there, and they still want to have that kind of capability, but it just, Ukraine's just too, there is no safe place in Ukraine yeah. from the Russians. I remember in Haiti, we were there, and they were telling us the stories about, you know, when the towers went down, cell towers and everything went down, they literally thought it was the second coming of Christ. People really thought it was the rapture because mm-hmm. people literally just disappeared. You know, because you, like you said, you couldn't get any information anywhere off that island, or at least that side of the island. And they literally thought, so many of them, especially out in the country, well, even in the city, literally thought that Christ had come back mm-hmm. and they had been left. And some of them were really distraught by that. I mean... It was such an interesting story to listen to them tell those stories and to talk about that. You know, I was thinking again of the tornadoes here. Mm-hmm. Cell towers didn't work. Mm-hmm. ATM machines don't work. Right. You know, <laughs> nothing works. So if you stop and think about it, you know, everything that we really hold dear and true, you know, like our phones and quick cash and able to pay for everything. Well, if electricity and all that's out, communication's out. None of that works unless you have a go bag or something <laughs> right, ready to go. Just, You're stuck on a log, dude. I mean, it just shows you how, you know, like when the flood hit New Orleans, people wandering around with grocery bags with yeah. their stuff, not right. knowing where to go or what to do. And, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a good example. Everything was totally destroyed. Everything was shut down. Yeah. They had no plan, no idea. And, I mean, you know, we're fortunate, but it's something that's uh, very real. Yeah. Yeah, because you, you can't predict when an earthquake's going to hit, really. I mean, yeah, I mean, and I was thinking, you know, it was fun to talk to some of the people who were with some geographical engineers for like, that were there with us from SP, kind of weighing things and seeing where we need to go and do. And it was interesting to talk to them. I said, okay, you know, we're on the fault. Mm. in West Tennessee. What happened if we have a 7.8, 8.2, two back-to-back within two hours? You know, what's going to happen to West Tennessee? He said, it's going to look just like Turkey. Yeah. yeah. You know? Yeah. In Haiti, when the earthquake hit, everything fell down. Yeah. But in Turkey, they had rebar. Everything was built the way it's supposed to have been built, and it still came down. Mm. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know, and I'm sure the bricks would fall off all our houses. Yeah. And then some of them would be caving in. Yeah. You know? Oh, and, yeah. Yeah. And the horrible thing about Turkey, it happened at four in the morning, so most everybody was home asleep. Sleep, yeah, which is a little bit yeah, a little bit scary to think about. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, goodness, do you have any plans to, uh, you have somewhere else you're planning to go soon? Or? No, not really. Taking Katie's group to the Gulf and then going to see Rob in Virginia Beach, but not. Well, if you're going to the Gulf, you better be careful. That's the wildest place you can go. <laughs> <laughs> Down there in the Redneck Riviera. That's right. You better be careful. Oh, no. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm fine. But no, I'm, I've. I got some training stuff to do with Samaritan's Purse and some things. They're having a uh, a summit for husband and wives of DART missionaries that have been medical people. Yeah, that they're getting together for a weekend to kind of for yeah marriage seminar kind of thing. Mm. And That'd be cool. I'm looking forward to it. it's going to be in the fall for Jane to get an idea of what's going on from their perspective and yeah. and hers too. So good. Well. We appreciate you coming in every time you do. We always love to hear what you've been up to, what's been going on, because, you know, you are an extension of us when you do oh, yeah. that. I'm, so we do appreciate telling the stories. You're a good storyteller. That's <laughs> so, <laughs> stories to tell. That's so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we do appreciate you doing that. And thanks for serving as our uh, as our chairman of the board of uh, lay, lay elders. And, and we do appreciate that as well. We're not going to make it easy on y'all. <laughs> <laughs> It's all right. We make it. <laughs> oh, that's it's, good. It's, you know, we never had elders before. Yeah. Until this we left. Is all new. And at first, we had no idea what we had to do. Yeah. And then after the last year and a half, we had to grow up real quick. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and so we're finally getting better in defining our role. Yeah. We're not like a young giraffe with wobbly legs anymore. We can actually no. outrun a couple of lines, I think. <laughs> and, you know, one thing we did this week was define who we are as a church, you know, going forward. Yeah. Are we going to hold on to some Methodist traditions or not? Which ones we are going to hold on to or not? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and what are we going to do? What do we want? And mm-hmm. uh, even though we've kind of done the surveys, yes, mm-hmm. but as far as making a statement as the leadership of the church, mm-hmm. we've not done that. Yeah. So we were tasked doing that. Cool. Will that be released soon or something? Yeah, I think so. All right, yeah. Good. Good. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, great. Well, thanks for coming by, Bill, and um, pray for you as you go out and uh, serve us again. So thank you. Appreciate that. So do y'all have a go bag? No, but I feel like I need one now. (laughs) Uh, what, it's called my toolbox. What but. Do, I was going to say, what do you put in your go bag? Well, because well, he said they put the medication in the go bag. Yeah, medications but, you take. But I, I mean. You need to have some prepared to go. Like clothes. I, I don't I don't clothes. have a ton of medications I'm, I'm supposed yeah, to be taking. But, to, I don't have the same skill set that he does. So I feel like my go bag needs to have different things in it. You know, we have had periods where we do have something more like that. But right now, I would say we probably don't. Yeah, we're, you know, we don't have water supplies. We don't have batteries and things like that. You know, I, I mean, I have tools, but yeah, we, I don't think we're very prepared. <laughs> we, we 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 go through spurts of water where I'll have some prepared uh, and ready, and then like all of a sudden, I find myself drinking. I was like, why am I doing this? So, but yeah, you know, it's good to have a bag ready where you can grab. And yep. just go kind of a change of clothes. Yeah. You should be able to grab your important documents mm. if, if you keep them at your house or, you know, pretty quickly or the ones you do keep at your house pretty yep. quickly. You need to have cash somewhere. I mean, that's kind of, we learned that in the tornado is. Yeah. Because y'all, I'm telling you, if you don't, you won't have access to it. 
I mean, you don't have to have like a million dollars or anything, but right. you know, something to at least feed yourself for a day or two. And it don't take them long, probably a lot of times to get that stuff back yeah. up and going or get you to where you can get to electricity and get it, but you won't have access to it. You yeah. Know? And with That's that, something to think about. <laughs> small, small bills. Yeah. You know, yeah. stuff like that that you just don't think about until you need it and then you don't have it. Yeah. That's a good point. I need to do better. Yeah, well, I think we all can be a little bit better prepared. You know, I remember when the girls were younger, we would do the thing of meet at the mailbox if yep. the house catches on fire and yep. all that stuff. That was kind of our meet at the mailbox thing or go to the next door neighbors and beat down their door until they, you know. I even told one time the little old ladies that live next to us, I said, just if their door's open, just go in and scream in your name. Say, hey, you know, asking for them because, <laughs> you know, don't be afraid to do that if you need to, you know, so. Like Bill said, best thing is to have a plan. Yeah. Yeah, it is. For and scoutings, be prepared. Be prepared. and That'll help. I do have faith, and the Lord will take care of us and all of that stuff, but right. we do need to be prepared to help others and ourselves occasionally. So. For sure. So, yeah, great stuff. I'm so glad that he does what he does for us. And, and like I said, he is an extension of the church when he mm-hmm. does that. So keep after it. And, and if you're interested in that kind of stuff, definitely look him up. Give him a, a message, because I know he would love to... You know, see more people get involved in in that way if you feel interested and called in doing that. I hope at some point, you know, in the future that we are able to have at least a little bit of a disaster response team that's from here. I know in the past there have been several folks from this congregation that have been a part of that when it was uh, United Methodist. Mm-hmm. What was it? UMCOR? So yeah, it was. I'm core, I'm Vim. Yep. And, you know, I don't know how many people are involved now, but there's definitely that need because we have disasters in our own country. Sure. Yeah. I was thinking that as we talked about stuff with him from fires to, of course, when we have big hurricanes and yeah. floods and tornadoes and all that stuff. There's a core of people that, whether it's Red Cross or just other organizations like, you know, the United Methodist part. That that's what they're trained to do. Yeah. And they're critical in those early response times. Years and years ago, I had a little bit of interaction with the Red Cross and got to understand a little bit about what they do, but they're mobile units that show up in a neighborhood that's been devastated with fresh food and water and pretty much anything that you might need. That's critical in those early days, for sure. I went to the United Methodist Disaster Relief Training before. And some of those teams are prepared to self-sustain for 10 days. Yeah. And I mean, they have everything they need. There's another group. I love following them on Instagram. They're Operation Barbecue. Mm. <laughs> and they're self-sustained. They go into these deals, but they serve barbecue to people so that people can eat. You know, yeah. People that are affected, first responders, all that stuff. Yeah, sure. And I was like, that might be the team I need to be on. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you basically just run a food truck for uh-huh. you know, however long you can right. be there. So yeah, right. pretty cool stuff. But, yeah. Well, Patrick, you know, you're all rested up from vacation, so surely you ought to have a good list of things we need to be about. We got a couple of things. This coming weekend, June 25th, Rockabillies. Hey! We're going to the ballpark, y'all. Take me out to the ball game. (laughs) Yes, we're going to go see the Rockabillies. Tickets are $10. $10. If you want to get a ticket, come on up here to the church. We got them. $10. $10. It's a 7.05 start time yeah. on June 25th. We're going to go as a church. How long has it been since a uh, team played here? A uh, couple years. Yeah. yeah. It, it hadn't been a ton of time, but I haven't seen it since oh. I've been back. Yeah, this so. will be my first uh, Rockabillies game. Yes. So. Yeah, I mean, it's been too. Yeah. No, second Rockabillies game. Because I saw them when they were the Diamond Jacks, and uh-huh. I saw them when they were the Generals. Generals. See, I never saw the Generals. What is your favorite mascot that we've had here in Jackson out there? Uh 
I was a fan of the Diamond Jacks. Was it just a baseball? Like then, a baseball like guy? Then he was yeah. like a big Pringles looking can thing. He had, oh, he had like he was like a miner. He was like a he had oh. like a pickaxe. Oh yeah. And Rib was the one like called Ribby? Maybe, yeah. Uh huh. Before that guy. Yeah, oh yeah, Ribby. I forgot about Ribby, yeah. And Sarge the dog. Sarge the dog, I remember him. That was with the, the generals. Yeah, I knew Which, that whole era. It was interesting that they were called the generals, but their mascot was Sarge. It was like a sergeant, not <laughs> yeah. a general. I don't know. Do you know what the goat's name is? Billy. Uh, J.R. Jackson Rockabillies. Oh, ah, that's his name. Well, it's because he's a Billy goat. Mm. Yeah. And goat is the greatest of all time. And he's a rocking Billy goat. Is that right? Rocking <laughs> yeah, Billy he has goat. A guitar. Rockabillies. He's the rocking Billy goat. Uh, <laughs> rockabillies. I'm trying to figure this to out. Rocking I, Billy. I, I just think your granddad would be all over this. Oh, he'd, he'd, he'd be so happy he'd right be, now. He'd yeah. be pumped up. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> The deadline for the Educational Gift Fund is approaching quickly. That's July 1st. If you are a student in need of a scholarship for a college or a trade school, then consider applying for the Educational Gift Fund. You can find more information on that on our website, northsidejackson.com slash EGF, or find a link to that on our app under the connect tab or you can just call up to the office or talk to daphne she's got hard copies up here we can take care of that for you also coming up quickly is food truck party Mm -hmm. july 10th through the 14th yes it's going to be a good old time also remember no wednesday night activities during the month of july spend that time with your families or going on vacation doing whatever you need to do just uh recuperate we all need some downtime yes we do well we got some good interviews coming up good podcast topics it's been fun this summer so far yeah getting to hear from some new people that you know get to meet some new people next week's gonna be real fun (laughs) yes so make sure you tune in next week tune in that's such an old word isn't it tune in tune your radios too don't move that dial that's right make sure that you uh write in for your code breaking <laughs> yeah apparatus that we will send you decoder ring decoder. <laughs> and if you if you're a big time listener and you'd like to join in yeah in studio yep as always yeah. we're welcoming any topics if you, if you want to be hearing about a particular topic or you want to want us to talk to someone in particular authors Movie stars like people meet in the grocery yeah. store. Astronauts. Astronauts. Uh, lots of things. We'll we'll give it a shot and see. That would be cool. Submarine it? captains. If anyone knows a submarine captain, that'd be cool. <laughs> a sponge at we the bottom probably, of the ocean. <laughs> we could probably make that happen, actually. It would be kind of cool if they were on the submarine while we were talking. <sighs> that would yes. be cool. Get on that, Glenn. Yeah, you're, you're, our, you're my Navy connection. I, that's right. <laughs> I say, at a point in time in my life, I knew I knew a couple we could have called, but I'm not real sure where they're at now. <laughs> probably underwater. Yeah, yeah, which continent and where. <laughs> yeah, probably, know. I don't know, probably done now. Anyway, there's lots more coming up, so keep following us and share with your friends. Well, guys, thanks for podcasting with me. And thanks to all of you out there in the world for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest from us, you can follow us on Instagram at Northside Now Podcast. Go to our website, northsidejackson.com, or email us at podcast at northsidejackson.com. We hope to hear from you soon. Once again, this is Patrick. This is Glenn. I'm Kevin. And that's what's happening at Northside Now. Bye-bye.
No, no. Mm. <laughs>